All right, good morning, everybody. Have your Bible with you this morning. Good, good. Colossians chapter 3 is where you need to go. If you don't have a Bible with you, find one, get close to somebody who has one so you can follow along as we study God's Word together this morning. Last week, we looked at a few verses that really brought some things together that we've been seeing over the last several weeks. Particularly, last week, it was good to see Paul link the indicative statements of fact with the imperative commands to action in the same sentence. He stated the reality of our identity and our position in Christ in what is an incredible way, and then right out of that called us to live that out in some very tangible and very practical ways. All of this over the last several weeks in Colossians has been begging the question, are you in Christ? That's what matters most, because, because all of this is written to those who are in Christ, those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So the first question that you need to wrestle with as we approach any of this is, are you in Christ? If not, I invite you today, I beg you today to repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. Like that is most important. If you're not in Christ today, repent and believe today. If you are in Christ then let's rejoice in who we are, who he has made us to be. The text last week said, we are chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's incredible. And you saw a similar thing this morning in Sunday school in the introduction to Romans. He calls them loved by God and called as saints. This is our identity as those who are in Christ Jesus. And we must rejoice over it and not just rejoice over it, but put on Christ-likeness in our character especially as we engage with one another in this imperfect community here at First Baptist Church Harrisburg. We must put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And if we are chosen of God, holy and beloved, if we are called out as saints, then those kind of attributes make perfect sense, right? The other side of the equation doesn't make sense. If we are ugly to one another in our speech, if we are given to anger, if we are jealous of one another and things like that, that doesn't make sense for those who are a new creature. But these kind of attributes do because they look like Jesus. And when we put on those kind of clothes, we will bear with one another, we will forgive one another. And then last week we said, on top of it all, above it all, put on love, which binds everything together, love that binds us together. Well, this week in the text, we're going to continue to move forward with Paul's thought in chapter 3. And I want us to be super careful today to stay connected to what we have been seeing over the last few weeks. All three of the verses that we're going to look at today have often been lifted from their context and used to make points that either aren't there at all in the text or are at best secondary to the main point. I want to admit that I have done this myself. I have made this mistake myself with chapter 3, verse 15. Teaching it as if it is primarily about our individual decision-making process as believers. Teaching it as if the peace of Christ is like a little referee in my heart telling me whether or not to go to that college, whether or not to marry that girl, whether or not to apply for that new job, and on and on and on. That's really not what the text is about. It's not about our individual decision-making process. It's not ultimately what he's getting at in this text. And, and, and so I say all of that to say this. We must not forget what we have seen over the last few weeks when we come to these verses today. So to help us with that, I'm going to read a lot of verses today. Some of which you've seen, all of which you've already seen on the screen as, as we've been singing. You've been engaging God's Word. And I want you to hear it again. So we're going to start reading Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Read through verse 17 today. 
Our study will spend, spend, we'll spend our time in verse 15, 16, and 17. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we we are thankful to be in your presence ultimately, to come before you on this day to sing to you about how great you are to hear from you in your word, to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good. This is good to be gathered like this. And we need you to teach us, change us, grow us, because we want you to use us for your kingdom's sake, for your glory as we live out the new life you've given to us in our community, in our family, in this body. Use us. Have your way with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as much as I want to be careful not to lift these these three verses out of context, make them stand alone as if they're not connected to the thoughts around, we are going to look at these three verses one at a time. Um, Three thoughts that really build on each other. So let's start with verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The first thing that we need to do in verse 15 is nail down what is the peace of Christ? What is this peace of which Paul speaks? And it's probably best to understand it in three ways. First, we need to see this peace in its objective sense, its objective sense. In other words, by grace through faith in Jesus, men and women who were formerly in a state of enmity with God have been brought into peace with him through Christ. At conversion, we were declared to be at peace with God through Christ. That's a fact. Like we are at peace with him. Romans 5 says it like this. Paul says it in Romans 5. 
verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. This is glorious gospel truth when we talk about peace of Christ in an objective sense. Because of God's holiness and because of man's sinfulness, the status of the relationship between God and sinful man is the exact opposite of peace. Fallen man and holy God are not at peace, but they are at enmity. They are at war even. But the good news of the gospel is that by grace through faith, We who were once his enemies have now been reconciled to him. We have been brought into a peaceful relationship with him through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about this peace of Christ, we want to think about it in the objective sense that we who are in Christ are at peace with God through Christ. He has brought peace between us and the Father. But we don't just want to consider it in the objective sense. We also want to consider it in the subjective sense. In other words, as those who are at peace with God through Christ, we feel the peace of Christ within us. In the midst of the storms of this life, we experience what the Bible refers to as a peace that passes understanding. So it's not just objective peace that is the reality of our relationship with God now, but it's a subjective peace that we feel and we experience. Jesus talks about this peace a great deal with his disciples just before his crucifixion. Look at it in John chapter 14. One little snapshot of this. Just as Jesus is is getting ready to go to the cross, he says to his friends, his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You catch that in the subjective sense? Like Jesus is saying, I'm giving you my peace and you will feel it. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled because I'm giving you my peace. I think that's part of what Paul is talking about when he talks about the peace of Christ. Two chapters later in John chapter 16, Jesus says it like this. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Don't you love that? The experience of peace that we can have, like he, he is truthful with us. He says, in the world, in the world you're going to have tribulation. In the world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And that's the kind of peace that he gives to us. That's the peace of Christ that's given to us that we experience, that we feel. Paul talks about this peace of Christ in a different way in Romans chapter 15. This subjective sense of it in Romans chapter 15 verse 13 when he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like that's, we, we, we feel that. Jesus gives us his peace, the peace of Christ within that we feel, that we experience. And this is good news, that he gives it to us this way. And we have seen this subjective sense of the peace of Christ on display this weekend in Harrisburg. This weekend, on the anniversary of the Leap Day storm that killed eight people, Destroyed many, many homes and disrupted countless lives, changed countless lives. In the midst of this crisis, in the midst of that crisis, in the face of so much pain and so much loss, we saw the peace of Christ on display in people's lives. And we continue to see the peace of Christ ruling in people's lives. Feeling 
at peace when life goes crazy. Paul is talking about that peace of Christ that is not only in the objective sense, but it's also in the subjective sense in that we feel it, we experience it. But thirdly, and probably most significant to this text in Colossians, he talks about the peace of Christ in a relational sense. An objective sense, subjective sense, and a relational sense. In other words, the peace of Christ as an objective reality and as a subjective experience therefore creates peace among his people. Maybe say it another way, if you and I have differences that would normally keep us separated, like the Jews and the Gentiles, the barbarians and the Scythians, the slaves and the freemen did in the first century, we can and we must come together in the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ is not just something that's individual to us, but it's something that rules in our hearts as we are together. Paul talks about this in an interesting way in Philippians chapter 4. I want you to look at this. It's a longer text, but it'll be on the screen. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Uh, We don't know all the backstory of what's going on with these two women, but they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that were a part of a local church in Philippi, and they were evidently at odds with one another over something. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine two people who are in Christ, who live in proximity to one another in a local church, being at odds with each other over something? Yes, you can imagine that. You don't have to imagine it. Look around the room. We've got it. We've got Euodia and we've got Syntyche among us. We are Euodia. We are Syntyche. And Paul is saying, I urge them to be at harmony in the Lord. The peace of Christ is not just something we experience vertically. It's something that must rule in us horizontally as well. Read on. He says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Talking about applying the peace of Christ in that tense relationship but read on he continues to talk about it this is the next verse he says rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice let your gentle spirit be known to all men the lord is near be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and verse 7 the peace of god which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus my point is this in colossians chapter 3 I think he's referencing the peace of Christ in an objective sense, that we have peace with God through Christ. We are declared to be at peace with him. And when we feel the peace of Christ in our hearts in the midst of life's storms and life's trouble, but all of this must lead to peace among us, peace amongst the gathering. Because look what he says in the very next breath. In the very next breath, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So we, so we can't lift it out and, and just turn it into this personal, uh, private, decision-making process. He's clearly applying the principle to the community. You were called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule because you are called in one body. Let the peace of Christ by which you have been reconciled to God also rule in your reconciliation with other people. He says, it is the peace of Christ that rules in our hearts. Peace of Christ reminds us who we were 
and who we are in Him. The peace of Christ reminds us of where our hope is. The peace of Christ reminds us of what matters most when we're gathered together. This word for rule, let it rule in your hearts, is unique in the New Testament. It's used outside of the Bible to describe an umpire or a referee in a sporting event. The guy who says, right or wrong. The guy who says, ball or strike. The guy who says, fair or foul. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts like that, especially when you're together. So basically, in the church, it looks like this. As we are gathered together, the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts when we're together looks like this. If he has accepted you, how could I not? If, if you have the peace of Christ in you, if he is living at peace with you, how could I not be at peace with you? How could I be at war with you if we together are at peace with him? Richard Lucas sums it up this way. I think this is a great statement. Uh, captures the big idea. He says, when Christ rules in our heart, his peace will rule in the fellowship. When Christ rules in our heart, his peace will rule in the fellowship. That's what we want to see here, right? We want to see men and women who experience the objective sense of the peace of God, peace of Christ, feel the subjective sense of it, and live it out in a relational sense, that we are at peace with one another. I want you to put a little pin at the end of verse 15 on the idea of thanksgiving. We're going to come back to that later. A keen observer of the text, as we read through the text, would notice he mentions the giving of thanks in all three of the verses we'll look at today. It almost feels like a side thought. It almost feels like an afterthought, especially here in verse 15, but it's not. It's not a side thought. It's not an afterthought. It's the foundational thought of all of this, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So look at verse 16 together. He says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I told you how I have wrongly taught verse 15 in the past. Verse 16 is often wrongly taught, as if the primary point of the text is that we would sing a variety of different kind of songs in worship. And it's a right observation that twice in Paul's letters to the churches, he mentions psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like there must be some difference in those three things. But that's not the main point in either place when he mentions this, either in Ephesians nor here in Colossians. The main point is what, not what worship sounds like as we're singing it, but what it's really all about. And we want to get to that when we study this verse. So let's consider what is the word of Christ. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In fact, that's the one command in this verse. The idea of singing, the idea of teaching, the idea of admonishing, those are participles who kind of modify and explain what it looks like to let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. So the command is, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. And if that's true, we need to consider what is the word of Christ. What does Paul mean when he says the word of Christ? Well, I think the easiest way to explain it is to say it is the gospel proper. The word of Christ, the word about Christ, is the gospel proper. The message of Jesus' life, his, his perfect, sinless life, is the message about his death, his substitutionary, atoning, sacrificial death for us. The word of Christ is the message about Jesus' burial and about his victorious, glorious resurrection. What is the word of Christ is the gospel proper. But it cannot be limited to the gospel proper. 
the word of Christ must also apply to all of the scriptures. Not just the message about Jesus proper, but the whole story about Jesus, which is revealed from Genesis through Revelation. Because all of the Bible is a testimony unto the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? Doesn't, doesn't he teach us that after his resurrection? You remember the story uh, in, in Luke's gospel in particular, uh, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, and there are a couple of disciples walking along a road to Emmaus. You remember this story? And Jesus starts walking along with them, but they don't recognize him. And they have this whole conversation where Jesus is like, hey, why are you guys so bummed out? And they're like, are you the only person who's been in Jerusalem and doesn't know what happened with Jesus this week? They say that to Jesus. He's like, no, tell me about it. What happened? And they have this whole conversation, uh, and, and they're talking and talking and talking, and they, they don't get it. But at one point, in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus opens their eyes, and it says, Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. As Jesus is walking with them, and their eyes are fairly closed to the big idea of what's going on, the text says... He explained himself to them from all the scriptures. In other words, teaching us that all of the scriptures bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the word of Christ, we we don't just want to limit it to the gospel message proper. We want to expand it to all of the scriptures because they all testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrinal statement, the statement of faith of this local church, of First Baptist Church Harrisburg, which is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, the the statement of faith that outlines what we believe as a church. Some of you may not know that there is such a thing. Some of you may not know that there is a a doctrinal identity to First Baptist Church. What do we believe about certain things? Well, there's a statement. We're not just fast and loose, just believe whatever you want. No, there's a statement of what we believe the Bible teaches. And one of the things it says about the Bible, one of the things our doctrinal statement, our statement of faith says about the Bible is this, quote, All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. I say amen to that. That's a good statement. It's not right out of the Bible, but it's accurate about the Bible. It's a good statement. We say, yeah, that's right. All scripture is a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the focus of all divine revelation. So when Paul is talking here about letting the word of Christ richly dwell in you, it's not just limited to the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it is about all of the scriptures. Let all of the scriptures dwell within you richly because all the scriptures ultimately point us to and reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. So the command here is to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. question then is, how do we do that? How do we let it dwell in us richly? First thing. We let it dwell in us richly by personal spiritual discipline. Now, I'm going to speak frankly, that is not what this text is primarily about. This text is not primarily about your personal spiritual devotional life. It's about our life together. But hear me clearly. That can't happen corporately if it's not happening privately. Like the word of Christ richly dwelling in y'all as we're gathered together, isn't going to happen if the word of Christ is not richly dwelling in you, in your personal, private, devotional life. So, if you want to, want, to let the, want to be obedient to this text and let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, read your Bible. Study your Bible. Listen to God's word preached. Study, learn, be a student, be a disciple on your own. And let me tell you, You can do that. If if you are in Christ, 
You are fully equipped to do that on your own. You are not beholden to me to study the scriptures. You are, you are not dependent upon me to always, only, ever teach you God's word. If you are in Christ, you got the spirit in you, and you have the word of God in your lap. Study it. Like, do it on your own. If all, if all you ever get is what I feed you, you're going to starve to death. The word of Christ will not richly dwell in you. So I am, I'm, in, I, I'm encouraging you. I'm not empowering you because that's already happened at conversion. You're, you're, a, you're a priest. We are priests. Access to God. Could study his word on our own. Don't be dependent upon any teacher when you have the best teacher ever living in your heart. Okay, so, so if you want the word of Christ to richly dwell in you, that happens by personal spiritual discipline. Read your Bible, study it. Teachers are good gifts. Don't get me wrong. Te- teachers are good gifts to the church, necessary and helpful for the building up of the body, for the glory of God. It's all good. Teachers are good. But don't be completely dependent on a teacher with a lowercase t when you've got the teacher with a capital T in your heart, the Holy Spirit. Happens first by personal spiritual discipline. Not the main imperative of this text, but necessary and essential. Number two, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly by community discipleship. That is by teaching and admonishing one another. Look what it says in the text. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Teaching here is positive instruction. Admonishing is more negative like rebuke and correction. The lesson here for us is that ministry, discipleship, is not just for professionals. Ministry and discipleship is not just a program of the church. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. And you can do this. Like, just like I said a while ago, you can study the Word of God on your own. You can be a disciple-making disciple on your own. You you don't need a master's degree. You don't need a bachelor's. You don't need a degree. You need, like, 98.6 degrees to do this. You just need to be alive. And, And have the Spirit living in you and the Word of God accessible to you, which you all have if you are in Christ. You can do this. In fact, not only... Can you do this? Like, I want you to hear that. I want you you to be empowered to do that. But you must do this. The expectation of of this text is that we would instruct and admonish one another. That we would be teaching one another the things of the Lord. So we do it. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly by personal spiritual discipline, by community discipleship in which we are teaching and admonishing one another, and thirdly, from the text, by corporate worship. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly by teaching and admonishing one another, even as we sing songs. Like part of of the word of Christ dwelling in us richly is singing songs. There is an effectiveness of music for teaching. Don't you agree? How many of you know of Zacchaeus Primarily because of a song. Singing is an effective tool for teaching, right? Especially children. Singing is an effective way to teach. In fact, when, when I think through the spiritual gifts, I mean, not, not the spiritual gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, Jeff, like every time I say, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, patience, gentleness, control, like that happened. That thing happens every time I go through the list in my head. Control. I don't know how to do it otherwise. 
because I was taught the fruit of the Spirit by a song. And that's helpful. And we want to teach each other. We want to teach each other as we sing. Now, singing songs, even good songs, is not sufficient on its own. We don't don't ever want to supplant or replace the study of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word with singing songs, even if they're good songs. We need the Word of God. But one of the ways we let the Word of Christ richly dwell in us is by singing good songs together, by corporate worship. And notice, as he talks about all this, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I want to consider that idea of thankfulness here for a minute. I want to consider specifically the role of gratitude in singing. If you're a believer, you have every reason to be thankful, do you not? And therefore, you should sing. Like, you, you really should sing. I, I don't think there's any expectation on the unbeliever when you're, when you're with us to sing. Like, if, if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ when, you get, when you're here with us, like, if you're an outsider who gathers with us for some reason, like, it seems weird that you would sing to me. It, it seems odd to me that you would sing, like, songs that we, the wrath of God was satisfied, every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Like, if you don't trust that, it is really weird for me that you would sing that. But you know what's weirder? When people who claim to believe it don't sing it. Like, like when when people who say, my hope is built on Christ alone. Here in the death of Christ, I stand. Here in the life of Christ, I live. If I would say, in Christ alone, I believe that. I'm not going to sing it, though. That that is just weird to me. Because if we are in Christ, we have every reason to be grateful, every reason to be thankful. And that gratitude should pour out in our singing. So I'm going to rant here for just a second. Guys, husbands, dads, singing isn't girly. Singing isn't for sissies. Sing. If you're a believer, sing. Even if you're bad at it. And I'm bad at it. But I was super encouraged for, for the several months we had the O family here. And I, and I got to sit right in front of Matt. He's bad at it. <laughs> right? Bad at it. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful and encouraging to my heart when when the enemy would say, you're bad at it, Chris. You you don't add anything to the deal when you sing, man. You you are a distraction when you sing. That's the enemy that says that. The Father is saying, I like how that sounds when it comes from your heart. And so, guys, I want to say sing. Sing. Because part of what this text is teaching us when you put all of this together is that even in our singing, we are teaching one another. We are admonishing one another, even in our singing. And I wonder, I wonder what your coworker that you invited to church thinks when you don't sing at church. 
when, when you have said, hey, come with me to church because Jesus is important to me and I want him to be important to you, and they visit with you, and like some people in the room are singing and they look at you and you're not. Take that a step further to your gut. What about your kids? What are, what are we teaching our kids, Dad? When we say to them at the supper table or by their bedside, hey, Jesus is everything to me and I want Jesus to be everything to you, and they look up at you when, when the church is singing and you're, the, you're not. You're like this. What are you teaching each other when, when you refuse to sing? And maybe worse yet, like, uh, I'll, I'll just rant, I'll just do it. Some of you are like this everywhere else. Like at a ball game or watching CNN or Fox News. Like you got it in you to, to, to be affective, affectionate. Like you, you've got that in you. It's not like you're always like this. Like I might give that guy a little bit of a break. But the guy that's here at the basketball game and here at church is not, te- is, man, it's confusing to his kids. It is super confusing to his kids. Like dad tells me he loves Jesus more than basketball, but when I watch him, looks like he loves basketball more than Jesus. So let it, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, right? Here, here's the point of the text. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Teaching, admonishing, and singing will happen when, when that's happening. When the word of Christ is richly dwelling in you, we will sing, we will teach, we will admonish one another. That will, it will flow out of us. And teaching, admonishing, and singing are the means by which the word of Christ richly dwells in us. Right? So when it's dwelling, we do those things, and by doing those things, it dwells, and that creates the upward spiral of discipleship that we talk about often, the upward spiral of sanctification. Like, it's good when we get together and we disciple one another. Look at verse 17. He says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now at this point in the text, we could zoom way out and apply the principle here to every facet of our lives, and that would be fully appropriate. He uses language like whatever and all, and that seems to take us in that direction. This is a good rule to live by in everything you do. To be asking yourself, can I do this in the name of Jesus? Can I do this for Jesus' sake? Can I do this as his representative on the earth? Can I do this for his glory? Can I watch this show? Can I eat this thing? Can I drink this? Can I go there? Can I have a relationship with this person in his name? Can I do this with gratitude? Can I receive this with gratitude, or is there a certain amount of shame with it? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That could zoom way out and apply to everything, but remember, the context here is about our life together as his people, his chosen, holy, beloved people, us. Certainly, then, this Godward and grateful posture must be the tone of our engagement with one another. If we keep our focus on Him, we'll be brought together. If we are seeking to live for Him, we'll be brought together. If we are taking off the old clothes of the old life and putting on the new clothes of the new life, we'll be brought together. And when we are brought together, the world takes notice. 
When we are brought together as people who are collectively seeking to honor the Lord with our lives, the world will take notice. We sang it a minute ago. I think we're going to sing it as we close the service. They will know that we are His by the way we love one another. And the posture for all of this Christian living is gratitude. When we ponder who we were, when we ponder what God has done for us in Christ, when we think about who we are now by His grace, then we are brought into a posture of humble gratitude. Humble gratitude is the posture for all of this Christian living. A preacher in Jackson, Mississippi said it like this. He said, gratitude is one of the great engines of Christian obedience. Those who most feel their gratitude to God are the most willing to live their whole lives for His praise and who will pursue Christian obedience, who will long to display the glory, His glory to the ends of the earth. So be grateful and let your gratitude empower your obedience to the Lord. So that's the first application, be thankful. Number one, be thankful because you have every reason to be thankful. I was running the other day with a friend of mine and, and it just wasn't going well for either of us. Neither of us were feeling real good and it was rainy and nasty and cold. I was like, man, this is a bad day. This is just a bad day. I'm just not feeling it today. And my buddy said, yeah, but my bad days are better than most people's worst days, best days. My bad days are better than most people's best days. I thought, well, that's probably true. That's probably true. Doesn't make me feel better right now, but it's probably true. And the reality of the matter is my bad days are way better than what I deserve. Even my worst days are better than what I deserve. So I should live my life with humble gratitude to the Lord for his goodness. So be thankful, number one. Number two, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and in this room. Let's let the peace of Christ rule. Number three, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you by your personal spiritual discipline, by corporate discipleship, and by corporate worship. Let's let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And finally, everything we do, let's do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Asking, can I do this for him? Can I talk to them this way as his representatives on the earth? Can I... Go there for his glory. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we're so thankful for the ways you challenge us, the ways you grow us. So sorry for the ways we fall short. We thank you for the peace that you provide through your son, Jesus Christ. And we want that peace to rule in our hearts and rule in this room. We're thankful for your word that you've given us such great access to. And we want it to richly dwell within us in private and in community and in our singing. We want it to dwell within us richly. And we want to do everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As your people who've been adopted into your family, been redeemed by your grace, we want to live for you. Not just talk, but live for you. So help us to do that. But we recognize there are people in this room who are not yours. And we pray that you'll reach down and save them today. Open their eyes to their sin. Open their eyes to your holiness. Open their eyes to the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf. Father, give them faith to trust, repentance to turn to Jesus Christ. Find salvation in him and him alone. All for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name.